Well, good morning, or whatever time you're watching this. Uh, it's great to be uh, with you on video. And honestly, a week ago, I did not think that we would be here. This is a, a Saturday afternoon that we're recording this. It's in the King's Arms, uh, a King's House Auditorium. It's just me and the amazing Phil Cutland-Green who's recording. And this is not where I thought we would be, um, but here we are. In fact, all week we had meetings where I was confident that we were gonna be meeting on Sunday. Um, but on Friday morning, I woke up and I just felt deeply, deeply disturbed, deeply um, troubled by the decision that we'd made. I felt the spirit whispering to me, Simon, I want you as a community to take a lead in this. And um, so I, I, I talked with, I called Steve Wilson, we had a chat and then we together called an emergency um, leadership team uh, meeting to talk it through. We wrestled it through as a team for uh, over an hour. And you know, um, each community has got to make the decision for themselves at this time. I've got many good friends who lead churches um, who have chosen to meet this Sunday and there is no criticism at all in my heart or of any, any of our hearts for anybody else's uh, decision. They've got great procedures they put in place to help keep people safe. Um, but we felt there were a number of factors for us that meant that we shouldn't meet this, this Sunday. Uh, I just want to explain a few of them to you. One was uh, the fact that we're one of the largest, if not the largest gathering in our region uh, for people coming from probably a radius of 30 or 40 miles to one uh, location. Probably over a, over a thousand people would be gathering um, uh, or close to a thousand people will be gathering. We've got a huge range of people from different uh, backgrounds and demographics who wouldn't naturally meet, who wouldn't naturally come together um, in any other context apart from in our church family. Uh, we've got a warmth and closeness of interaction. We hug, we shake hands, we pray for one another, we lay hands and pray for one another. Uh, we've de designed our church to break down social barriers, to, to get close to, to one another. But of course, that's wonderful apart from in a time like this when actually social uh, barriers and distance are some of what you need to keep people uh, safe. Uh, and the other thing is that um, both of our venues, both the university and here at King's House, have got some very crowded spaces on a, on a Sunday morning where it's almost impossible to, for people to keep an appropriate distance from uh, one another when there's a virus going around. And lastly, of course, we've got a number of people who are vulnerable to this particular virus, either because of their own condition uh, or the condition of a family member or their age or something else. And so uh, I don't have to go on. I could, I'm sure you get the point. We felt like this moment for us was a moment actually to be socially responsible uh, for our Sundays and to actually not meet uh, this Sunday to help flatten the curve of the virus. I don't know if you've heard that expression. To flatten the curve means to slow down the spread of the, vi the virus so that the healthcare systems aren't uh, overwhelmed. Um, and it's no criticism to, of anybody else for anybody else's decision, but that's what we felt was right for us this Sunday because we weren't sure we could make the necessary changes to, uh, um, to slow down the virus this Sunday, should it already be among us. Some people have made the argument, well, just stop meeting when the, the first case is reported amongst you. And, and for me, my gut feel was, I think that might be a little bit too late. 
I think once you're at that point, the virus has already been spreading among you as a community. Everything we've heard from Italy and Spain and now Seattle, the, the appeals from them to the rest of the world is we've acted too late. And so we wanted to learn that lesson and the lesson from the Spanish flu over 100 years ago where the similar stories were, were told. Once this thing hits, it can hit really, really fast. And obviously we're praying that it doesn't. We're praying that this all kind of comes to nothing, but we also want to be wise in our, our approach. And uh, so, and anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, um, labor the point and, and I don't feel like I need to justify that, that we made that decision. And so uh, here we are. But I did want us to hear our hearts in this and to help us to understand together, because I know it probably took some uh, understanding. Uh, the, the really helpful advice that came from the pastors of Singapore, who are obviously a month or so ahead of us in this uh, thing, um, they uh, reported this fear often masquerades as wisdom. Fear often masquerades as wisdom. And, you know, I've been checking my heart. We've been checking our hearts right the way through to, to say, is this fear, Lord? Is this wisdom? We really don't want to come under fear. That's not what we're looking for. But we really do feel like this is the wisest uh, uh, response for us. And of course, all of us need to be guarding against fear in these weeks and months uh, ahead. It's actually love, not fear is the reason that we've changed our behavior. It's motivated by love. Uh, to paraphrase Andy uh, Crouch, who's a Christian leader from the States, I think summarizes so much what I'm feeling. And he said this, the reason to alter our practices, especially the way we gather, is not self-protection. The change is needed because the vulnerable around us are at a significant risk. One of the basics of the Christian life is the strong must consider the weak. We're making these choices not to minimize our own risk, but to protect others from risk. I love that. That's definitely the heart of why we've made the decision, certainly for, uh, for this Sunday and ongoing. That's how we want to be approaching um, this thing. What's going to happen moving forward? You might be asking, oh, is that it? We're we not going to meet on Sundays for a while. What's going to happen to our groups? Well, as you can imagine, we've got a number of meetings this week to talk about that. We've made the decision for this Sunday, but we really want to talk about that on an ongoing basis. What are we going to do from here? Obviously, the government advice as well may change this week. We're going to look at that as we go forward, I'd urge you to, to pray for us as we consider these things and, and to watch this space for, for news of what's going to happen because there are huge implications, uh, obviously for the whole nation, but also for our uh, community. Uh, and so I, I want to speak to us uh, now this morning as you're gathered, perhaps uh, uh, around a laptop or around your TV in your home or perhaps with some friends. I want to speak to us as a King's Arms family. I want to speak to us as anyone else who wants to listen in to what we've got to, to say. If you're uh, not a Christian yet and you're um, just looking into how do Christians respond to this, I want to give uh, a message that will be appropriate for you as well as how we approach these things. And I would say we have got a brief window to think. We've got a brief window to think. You might be surprised by that. What do you mean? What I mean is this, while, while many are kind of clearing the supermarket shelves, I think as Christians, we've got a moment to think. We've got a moment to think about our response to these things, to prayerfully think, because every action is a result of the thoughts that produced it. Every action is a result of the thoughts that produced it. 
And in the coming days, weeks and months, there is going to be a lot of action. There is going to be a lot of things that we have never faced before that are going to require action. Some of the actions that we've never taken before. And if we have not got our thoughts in order first, then our actions will also be out of order. Our thinking has got to be right. We've got to take this brief window to think. Uh, Perhaps you lead a large company and you're going to have to make decisions in the next few days and weeks and months that will affect hundreds of people. The big kind of decisions, perhaps it's just a a medium sized issue that's really going to affect you. Perhaps you're self-employed and you come down with a low grade fever and you have got to make a decision. Am I going to work today? A massive implication for your family. All all the small decisions, you're in the supermarket, you reach for the last roll of toilet paper or whatever it is, and someone else reaches for it at the same time as you. The actions that take place as a result of those situations are going to require you to have thought. To have thought, how are we going to respond to this as those who follow Christ? What you think will define you in those moments. That's why, you know, if you look back at 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 the Bible, Joshua said to the people that he was leading, the people of Israel, he said, choose today who you will follow. Choose today who you'll follow. Paul, the great apostle, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, he said, I have considered everything rubbish for the sake of following, of knowing Christ. Jesus himself, when he began his ministry, he began with this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All of those those words, choose, consider, repent, they're all thinking words. They're all words that are calling God's people to think, to think about what they believe. And so what do we need to think about? I mean, there are so many things that we need to think about, but I want to boil it down to two things for this message. We need to think about our reality and we need to think about our response. We need to think about our reality and we need to think about our response. Let me just pray for us. Lord, I just pray for our uh, hearts as we hear this message, as I deliver this message. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to think. I pray that you would take these words that I've prepared and that you would cause them to go deep in our spirits. We'd take that you'd take your word, which I'm going to read out. You'd cause it to come alive, that it would cause us to think as we move forward into these days. I pray for every person listening and watching this in Jesus' name. Amen. Think about our reality. That's where I want to start. Think about our reality. Phil Wilthew, uh, our our dear friend, uh, who's a leader with me in this church, uh, he read a scripture in a meeting recently and he said he felt this is a key message, a key passage for this time. And I agree with him. And I want to read from that passage. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, which is one of the letters in the New Testament uh, where no one's really sure who the author was. It's just called the writer to the Hebrews. But uh, they wrote this. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I'll shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that's unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Let's face it, the world is being shaken. Everything that used to be solid, everything that used to be rock solid has been shaken from the stock market to climate to government and now to health itself. And when the world is being shaken, the Bible is quite clear. God is the only one who is powerful enough to allow the world to be shaken. He is allowing it. He may use other agents, 
but it's certainly his, he that he's uh, allowing it. And, and here's the problem. Too many people, I dare say even too many Christians, haven't taken time to think before their world gets shaken. They haven't thought deeply enough about their reality, about the foundation of what they are living on until they're in the midst of it. And the problem is then they're tired, they might even be sick, they might be exhausted. And thinking in that season is really, really difficult to have good, healthy thinking. And I've seen it work both ways. Zoe Joy, our dear friend, her world got shaken, diagnosed with cancer. It was a shock. It was a sudden thing. Her world was shaken. I'm not saying that God sent the cancer. I don't believe that. But her cancer came and her world was shaken. It was a vicious thing. And even though on her deathbed, she was giving instruction. I want you to look after this person. I want you to care for that person. I'm worried about this person. How are they? I don't want anyone to be disappointed with God because of me. It was phenomenal to see. She, she said at one point, the doctors are worried about me. They're, they're, they're concerned, but I don't know why they're worried. I've been singing about meeting Jesus face to face for years. This is a win-win for me. Either he's going to heal me or I'm going to see him face to face, the one I've been singing about. I don't know why they're worried about me. How do you produce that kind of response when everything gets shaken? How do you produce that kind of gold? That's what came out of her. Everything was shaken and yet what came out was pure God, how do we produce that? Well, you get ready for it. You prepare for it. You think deeply about your reality of what you're building on. Uh, as Jesus said, if you build upon my words, you'll be like on a rock. But if you don't, it's like you're building on sand. I've seen people who've built on the rock like Zoe. And when the storm came and their world was shaken, what came out was gold. But I've also seen people who you thought were doing great but when their world got shaken, it was just sand. It was just sand. And they've walked away from their faith. They've become bitter. They've become twisted. I've seen it go both ways. I've seen so many shipwreck their faith because they hadn't thought deeply enough. They hadn't dug deep enough into the rock of Christ in those days. When you're in the trenches, if you're making decisions and judgments without having thought and dug deeply into your thinking about the reality of your life, the danger is that the whole thing just gets washed away. Uh, and in the notes, we can add a link to, to a talk I did some years ago on natural disasters and suffering and evil. If you've not really thought about those things as a believer, or even if you're not a believer, but you haven't really seen the Christian perspective of those, I'd really encourage you to search for that. Natural disasters on the King's Arms website, cheery title, I know, but it's there and I'd encourage you to listen to it. Or you can listen to the, the message I gave at Zoe's uh, funeral. I did another version on a Sunday, which was recorded. It's called Persevering Faith When the Storm Hits. You can take a listen. I'd encourage you after this message, if you want to dig more deeply into these things, get hold of those messages, listen to them, think about them, because it will build you on the rock. Let me give you a, a thumbnail sketch though, just in these few moments I've got. 1 Peter 3 says, worship Christ as Lord, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. That's the question for us in these days. Are we ready? Are we ready to explain the hope that we have? 
It'd be a great question to talk about after this, after you've watched this video. Are you ready to explain? What would you say if someone asks you? Uh, Caroline and I, the other, uh, a few months ago, we were, were cycling along, uh, went for a cycle ride one, one Monday, and we were asking ourselves hard questions as if someone who didn't know Christ was asking us because we wanted to be ready for when that moment comes. Luke 13 shows the moment when Jesus was asked because he also had to be ready. And he was asked questions around this kind of theme. This is what it says. There were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, his blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think these Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, unless you repent, you'll also likewise perish. Or those 18 men on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you'll also likewise perish. I tell you, you've got to be careful when you ask Jesus a question. You've got to be careful when you ask him a question. The 20th century, there were 168 million people killed in wars. More people than 9-11 every day. But even that figure is dwarfed by the number of abortions that were undergone in the 20th century. Someone said this, I want to ask God, why is there so much suffering in the world when you could do something about it? His friend replied, that's a great question. I'm just afraid that God might ask the same question of me. I'm just afraid that God might ask the same question of me. You've got to be careful when you ask Jesus a question. You might find his answer uncomfortable and that's what happens here. They come to him with this problem of evil and they say, look, there's some people who've been brutally murdered by Pilate, who was the, who was the Roman governor. They were, they, were, they were going about their business. They were just making their religious sacrifices and he killed a lot of them and, and their blood mixed with their sacrifice. What about that, Jesus? What about that kind of evil? And Jesus said, yeah, that is a, that's an issue. He said, there's, a, there's other issues like, what about the tower that fell on these guys? And, you know, they were just going about their daily business. This tower fell on them. Have you thought about that? He asked them a question in response to their question. You might think that Jesus' response is a bit cold. It's a little bit hard, don't you think? It's a bit, you think, I don't feel very compassionate. But you've got to understand when you're thinking about these things, there's two things to consider. One is the kind of the, the philosophical, the logical problem of evil and suffering. And the other is the, the emotional, the compassionate side of, uh, of, of the issue. You've got two sides of it. Now, we have no doubt about Jesus on the emotional and the compassionate side. I mean, he was the one who was there. He entered into our world. He knelt down into our sickness and our sin. He, he cured those who were broken. He, he got into the dirt with those who were most mistreated. He walked with the lonely and the poor. Don't point the finger at Jesus when it comes to compassion because he had it in spades. He lived it. He oozed it. Everyone wanted to be around him because what they met was the incredible love and unlike any other love that they had ever met before. So Jesus is not responding to that side of the question. What he's responding to here is more the logical, the, the, the philosophical side of the question. And he's saying this, when the world gets shaken, we worry about the cause, but Jesus' focus is on the cure. We worry about the source, but Jesus' focus is on the direction. We worry about the start, but Jesus, his focus is on the end. And this is the point. He's saying when you consider these things, you're often looking in the wrong place. 
You're looking in the wrong place. You need to look where I'm pointing you. There is a direction to disasters. And the direction that Jesus says is not fear, it's repentance. He says disasters point us to something. And it's not to fear. There's going to be a world around us that's going to be shaking in fear. And Jesus would speak directly to us and say, don't go to fear. That's not the direction of these things. The direction of these things is towards repentance. And this is the reality. When these things strike, they help us to think deeply about our reality. Whose life is this anyway? Does God owe us life? Do we deserve even a second more of breath? The question that Jesus is posing to us is, what's your reality? Natural disasters, plagues and these kind of things point us to a deeper reality that every second that we are alive is a gift from God. Every second is his grace. Every second is his gift to us. And Jesus says the disasters should give us a direction and that direction is towards repentance. When we see a virus sweeping the planet, do we shake our fists at God? Do we look around in fear? Or do we get on our knees? Do we repent? Do we say, Father, forgive us? Not just us as individuals, but us as a people, us as a world. We have, we have made a mess of this. I think that's where disaster should naturally lead us. Not to point the finger at anybody else, but to point the finger at our own lives and say, Father, forgive. Father, have mercy. Father, come and save us. And here's the good news. He comes running. He comes running. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son, the wayward son, the extravagant son. He wasted, he squandered his father's inheritance. And yet when he comes to his senses, it says he turned around. He came back to his father and he meets not the arms crossed father, but the prodigal, the extravagant father who runs to him who runs to him, who wraps his cloak around him. You, many of you will know the story. I haven't got time to go into it now. But it's in those moments that we see the heart of the Father. And it's in moments like this that are going on in the world that we can see a world that will return to their Father, that will return to him. We need to come as the church and lead the way in repentance. We have broken this beautiful planet, this beautiful inheritance that the Father gave us. We've broken it, not just those out there, we, us. And it's in these moments that we can come and say, Father, forgive us. Father, have mercy. Father, save us. Jesus says disasters have a direction. That direction is not towards fear, it's towards repentance. 2 Chronicles 7 says the same thing, verse 14. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, I'll restore their land. I don't know the outcomes of all the things that we're going to do in our meetings as we plan for what's our community going to look like in the weeks and months ahead. But I do know one thing that prayer is going to be right at the center of it. We are going to call us to prayer because God is calling the world to prayer. He's calling the world to repent and to pray and to seek his face. You've got to think about our reality. How, we, how do we understand these things? One of the things that shook me 
to think differently about my reality one time was when I took my son, one of my young sons to have his jabs. We were traveling overseas, he needed some jabs. And so I took him to get these jabs and when we were going, I can't remember how old he was, three or four, something like that. He, he asked me, is it gonna hurt? And I said, oh, it's just a little, little sting, just a little prick, it'll be fine. You'll be sitting on my lap, it'll be fine. He was sitting on my lap when the needle went in. He was looking right in my eyes and I will never forget his look for the rest of my life. To my dying day, I will remember that look. It was of sheer betrayal. You betrayed me. As that needle went in, the look in his eyes was pure betrayal. You betrayed me. And he yelped and he ran off my lap and he curled up in the fetal position, sobbing his heart out in the corner. You betrayed me. I'll never forget it. And I tried my best to comfort, me, comfort him. He didn't, he didn't want to know me. You betrayed me. And God spoke to me so powerfully through that moment. If I, being a, a faulty father, an imperfect father, have a reason for allowing my son to go through a short amount of pain for a longer term benefit, how much more could our Heavenly Father have a way and a purpose behind some of the stuff that happens to our lives? How much more could our Heavenly Father I couldn't, I couldn't explain it to him. I couldn't explain to my three or four year old son how vaccinations work and how it, how it would make him immune and how it would save him from something worth it. He just didn't have the ability to compute it. And think about that in the context of us and our Heavenly Father. There must be things in his infinite wisdom, the one who breathes stars into space, there must be things that he just cannot explain to us. We just don't have the brain power to understand it this side of eternity. Here's the point. If God is big enough to blame for all the suffering on the planet, he's also big enough to have plans to use evil for greater good in ways that we cannot comprehend. He's got plans to enter our situation, to come in through our pain if we will allow him. That's why we don't run to fear, because we thought about our reality. And we thought that it's in these moments when we don't know why and how, or what's going to happen. But what we do know is that when we cry, Father, when we cry, save us, when we cry, help us, he comes running. And the world needs a people who've understood that, a people who've understood that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called to his purpose. So much more to say. But I'd encourage you in your homes and your families, think about these things. Think about your reality. Ask one another questions so that you are ready to give a response. What's the direction that this disaster is going to take you? Is it to fear? Is it to questioning God? Or is it to repentance? And then secondly, think about our response. We've got to think about our reality. We've got to think about our response. Here's the thing. The writer to the Hebrews goes on. He's told us the world's going to be shaken and he's challenged us to think about our reality. But then he challenges us to think about our response. This is what it says in chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have have 
For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Notice the two elements of the response. He calls the church to repentance. We've already looked at that. Look, just briefly, go back to that. Look at the things that he covers. Honour marriage, be sexually pure, don't love money, be content with what you have. I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago and you could have written it yesterday for our society. Think about the things that God might be calling us to repentance. The first response is that, but there's a second response. When everything is around is shaken, the danger is, what? look in, isn't it? Look after ourselves. But the writer to this letter has got a different response for us. He's got a different opportunity. What does he say? He says, think about your response. Take care of your brothers and sisters. Is church an organization to you or is it a family? I tell you, that's gonna become really, really clear in the days and weeks and months ahead. Which of us felt like King's Arms was an organization that we rocked up to on a Sunday? And which of us felt like it was family? Will you be fighting for your brothers and sisters? What's it going to look like? Think deeply about your response. And if you feel like, no, it never was family, then think deeply about what is church to you? What was it, what was it meant to be? What did God take some time to study the scriptures and think about through the lens of family? I had a whole message that I was going to preach this Sunday, but this message overtook it on thinking through the lens of family. And then he says, take care of strangers. Remember those in prison. Remember those who have been mistreated. I mean, he just lists off the most disadvantaged people in the society. When society is shaken, it's so easy for the strong to look after themselves. But the scripture is quite clear. No, no, no. It's at times like these that the strong must look towards the weak. We must look towards the vulnerable, to those who suffer The church needs to be there for them. Who's going to look out for the stranger and the homeless, the refugee who's there on their own? Who's who's going to look after the one who can't go out and get their groceries? Who's got no family around them to support them if they need to self-isolate? If the church isn't there, who's going to do it? Let's start thinking, how are you going to care? How is your family going to care for those around? To get into the lives of the vulnerable, to help them and support them. You know, when Martin Luther, the great uh, reformer, faced a plague much worse than this one, actually, uh, he, his considered response, which uh, our dear friend Mike Betts, who leads the Relational Mission, posted, I thought it was brilliant. And he, he wrote this, Martin Luther wrote this, you ought to think this way. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent this poison and this deadly disease. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate. I'll help purify the air, administer medicine, and I'll take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perhaps infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me home, he will surely find me and I have done what is expected of me. And so I'm not responsible either for my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but I'll go freely. See, this is a God-fearing faith because it neither is brash nor foolhardly and it does not tempt God. I thought that was a brilliant approach. So practical. Pray that God will find us that way. Neither brash nor foolhardy. 
You see, God has got a part for each of us to, pray, to play in these days. There's no one of us who is alive today that's an accident. The times, the seasons of our lives have been prepared in advance for us. We have all been prepared for this moment. It's not by chance that you're alive today. He's got a place for you. He's got a part for you to play. You know, one of my biggest wrestles over the last year has been Carol Wilthew, Phil Wilthew's wife, and her sickness that struck her down. I mean, she was heart and center of our community. So active, so involved, here every Sunday, passionately praying. And yet she was just completely taken out. She has been in self-isolation. She's not even been able to, she's been so weak, she's not even been able to come on a Sunday for nearly a year. We have, some of us are worrying now about having to self-isolate for a few days. She's had a year of self-isolation. It's caused so much pain. It's been the kind of thing that's kind of jarred in my spirit all year about Carol and praying for Carol over and over again, not understanding, God, what's going on? As I was praying this morning, the Spirit of God just came on me and suddenly things clicked into place. And this is what I texted to Carol. Carol, the Spirit of God just came on me and said, you have got a prophetic word, a teaching for the church. You've had a year of self-isolation. You've been prepared for this moment. What have you learned? I feel that something's about to come out that will help us all. How have you stayed strong in God in your isolation? There's a message arising in you. Your suffering has not been to no end. You've been a forerunner. I suddenly see it. Oh my gosh, he is so good. I'm weeping as I type this. No pressure, but when you're ready, let me know. <laughs> I sent that to her and she gave me permission to, to share that. I was so excited this morning as I suddenly thought it's all clicked into place. Even what she's been through has been to prepare her for this moment. She has been ready. She's got a message brewing. And I, I called her and said, to you, have you? She's like, well, I, there is a few things I've been thinking. I just know it's coming and, and no pressure for her when she's ready. It will come. But it made me think, I think there's more than just Carol out there who've been prepared for this moment. I think you and I have all been prepared for this moment. God has put stuff in us that others are going to need. That's going to come out. It may be through previous hardships. It may be through pr previous successes. What's he put in you? What's he put in you for this moment? Who are the vulnerable around you that you've been prepared to help? I hope that we'll have some more creative ideas uh, this week to kind of help us and provoke us all. I was on the phone this morning to, to, one, to the, one of our MPs and just saying, look, we've got, we've got hundreds of people in our community and I don't just want us to look after ourselves. I want us to be a, to be a, a net blessing to our town. But we shut our meetings this Sunday, not just for our community but to protect us, but for the sake of the town. We want to help flatten the curve of this virus. How can we help the town? How can we serve our region in this time? And it was a great conversation. He and I are going to go away and think about how the church can play our part. So what's it going to look like for us as King's Arms over these next few months, over these next few uh, weeks? What's it going to look like? Who knows how long this is going to go on? As I come into a land, I want us to think deeply about our reality. Let's make sure that the foundation is there because who knows where this storm is going to go. 
Let's make sure the foundation is there. Don't let things rummage around that you've not expressed. You've got doubts, you've got questions, let them out. You've heard me talk about this before on a Sunday. We created a family where anyone can ask any question, where no doubt is too doughty. I've expressed my own doubts to you in front of, in front of the whole community because I want to create a place where we can get to the deepest parts of us and think deeply so that we are built on the rock. Let's think about our reality and let's think about our response. What's God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? Who are the vulnerable around you? How are you going to dig into family, even when everything else seems to be shaken? Father, be with us. Father, save us. Father, have mercy on us. Let's be praying as a community this week. I'm so sad not to see your faces, but I know and I trust what God's doing in you and in us all in this season. And I send you my love. And Caroline's in the States. If she were here, she would send you her love as well. God bless you all.